You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Amen. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter number 28. Genesis chapter number 28. My text is what birthed my thought for this morning, but it's kind of indirect also. There's a lot that that we can't read, that we have to leave out for the sake of time, but, uh, but this is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter number 28. And we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. If you don't have your Bible, then follow along with us on the screen. And I want you to see the text this morning. The Bible says here, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he stopped at a certain place, and he tarried there all night, because the sun was set. He took of the stones of that place, and he put them for his pillows, and he lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it, going up and down the ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon you lie, to you will I give it and to your seed. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you. I will keep you in all places where you go. I will bring you again unto this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you. And I want to read that last part one more time. The Lord told Jacob, I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. And this morning, I want to simply minister, on, and I'm going to do a little illustration. I'm going to bring my family up in just a moment and uh, just try to be plain and try to be real with you this morning. But I want to minister this thought. God has a plan for your family. God has a plan for your family. Will you bow your head and will you help me pray today that God would help us to minister. Father, I love you today. I thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. I thank you, Lord, God, for your presence that I've already felt, God, that I've already experienced here in this service today. I thank you for every individual and every family member, God, that is made up of this body, of this congregation today, God. Each and every one of them, Lord, God, you know and that you love and you have died for them. God, today as we enter into your word, I pray that you would move upon our ears to properly hear, our hearts to be open, God, that we would receive your word. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips to rightly divide this great word of truth. The task that is before me is greater than what I am, and I need your help this morning to be sensitive to your spirit, Lord, that I may be obedient. And I just pray that you would do the work that you came to do this morning, and we'll be very careful to give you the praise, glory, and honor in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen. I want to begin this way this morning, and I tell you what, as I begin, I want to go ahead if these guys will help me, and we set up five chairs right here. two there, and we grab three here. But uh, I began yesterday morning and, and even last weekend when Brother Torrance Nash was here and we got to visiting a little bit. One of our subjects that we talked about, we can back them up just a, just a here, that'll work, that we talked about was that how that there is so much division in our world today. 
There is division everywhere that we turn. There is division. We are divided as a people, as a nation, on many, many different issues. And I want to tell you this morning, division is one thing. When you don't agree with somebody, that is one thing. But when you build hatred in your heart because they don't agree with you or believe like you believe, that is wrong. That is wrong. We are a free moral agent, and we will all one of these days give an account to the Lord. We're going to sit down with God. We're going to sit down at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have a discussion about our life according to the Word of God. And I want you to know that hatred to one another is something that God is not going to accept. But with the division that we have and the division that continues to be promoted and presented, I want you to know that uh, when somebody presents somebody to me as an enemy because they don't agree with me on something, then that's a problem. And one thing that we've got to protect, and I'm not going into all of the issues and uh, we could be here all day long, but one thing that we've got to protect in regards to the division, and that is hatred coming into our home. Our home is sacred, our home is special, and our home needs to be protected, and our home needs to be something that we very carefully watch over in regards to any type of division. The, the home is undoubtedly the target of the enemy, and I, I want to I bring that out to you just a moment, and I, I want you to see because, see, the gospel goes from the church and it goes to the home. Today we have a problem of the gospel being delivered in many different ways in many different areas that to the non-believer, they, they would ask the question, well, who's right and who's wrong? We have a Pentecost church, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a church of Christ. We have all these different churches, and I don't mean no disrespect to any, any, any of those, but we have all of these different churches on the corner of any town that you want to go to. And so to the outsider looking in, well, who's right and who is wrong? You see, the enemy began to divide the church first, and because of the division of the church, what we have is we have division that is spread to the home. Well, I'm right, my dad's right, your dad's right, and your mom's wrong, and this and that and whatever, and our division is spread to the home, but here's what I want you to know. Our home is where our test is. That is our first battleground. You see who you see this morning in a, in a suit and tie. Yes, I, I'm not being fake with you this morning. I, I put on a suit and tie because I'm going to reverence the house of God. I'm going to come to the house of the Lord and reverence the house of the Lord. And, and in my respect, this is what I want to do. You seen me this morning with a smile on my face and I, that wasn't fake this morning. I, I said it's glad to see you and I am glad to see you. It's an honor to have you. I wasn't being fake. But if you want to know who I really am, you got to go home at about 8.30 at night when my feet are propped up and my pajamas are on. I'm just being real. The home is the real battleground. The home is when those that live with us truly see who we truly are. The home is who uh, the, parent, the children are watching after the parents. And when we confess to be something that we're not acting like we said that we was, well, then what it becomes is something that is just fake and something that is just show. You see, when we are sitting at home with our pajamas on, sitting in front of the TV, that's who we really are. And that's where the real test is. That's where we prove that what we got at church on Sunday stuck with me on Monday through Saturday. That's where the test is. Well, I don't like that to eat. 
Well, my coffee's cold. Okay, I'm the only one. That's all right. That's okay. That's where the test is. That's where the proof is. The church must invest in the home because as the pulpits has been polluted by many different messages, the home has been polluted. The home begins to break and begins to cave and look at the condition of our world. Our juvenile systems are full. The conditions, our country is more divided than what it's ever been. Look at the condition. A man said one time, a bus driver, he's asked by the superintendent, he said, can I do anything for you or can I get anything for you to make your job easier this year at school? And he said, is there any way that you can give me a busload of dads that we can place in the home that will be a dad? Our home is broke. And so the condition of our world continues to go down. God is a family man. And the family unit is what he uses in relationship with him in regards to his word. And every believer is a part of the family. There are sons. We are sons and we are daughters adopted by the spirit of adoption. We've been grafted in as a wild olive tree. We were a foreigner. We were a stranger in just wandering out. And God took us in because he loved us. And when he took us in, he didn't say, you're my friend. He said, you're my son and you're my daughter. He took us in. And family is the relationship that he uses. This morning, I want to take you back to the grandson of Jacob. Or just take you back to the son of Jacob, the grandson a great-grandson of Abraham. But I want to bring my family up. Pastor Ryan, would you come and sit right in the middle? My mom, my dad, my little brother, I want you to come. This is my family. This is my mom, my dad, my two brothers. I'm not leaving my niece. I'm not leaving my, my spouse my wife or sister Cammie out, but this is the family that grew up in our home. You can take that seat. You're still the youngest. You're still baby brother. He don't want me to have to prove that this morning. He says, just preach. I want to take you back just a moment, but I want to present a visual to you also. There are many great examples in the Bible and I'm going to use my family as an example that's not in the Bible to bring out some things this morning to try to help you to see some things as a family. Now, I met with my family before today and got permission. There's some things that I'm going to bring out that we've all tried to forget. But you know what? I think there's the, we live in a day when a preacher needs to be real. Quit just going through the motions. Quit acting like we don't have no problems or issues and just be playing with the real. You know why? Because I'm dealing with real people. You're not robots this morning. I'm dealing with real people with real issues. And so I think it's a time that we need to be real. We entered into the text here, and i got to leave so much out, but it's after Jacob had been given the birthright from his father Isaac. The Lord visited him in a vision, and he echoes the promise that he made with his grandfather and with his father Isaac. To his grandfather he walked Abraham out in the dark. And he said Abraham look up and count the stars. To see if you'd be able to number them. 
If you can count the stars, so shall your seed be, and even the sand of the sea. He mimicked this promise to Jacob here when he was talking about it. Excuse me. But he promised to bless his seed and that through uh, generations to come that his seed would be blessed. He told Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless those that bless you and I'm going to curse those that curse you. In other words, I'm going to be for everybody that blesses you and I'm going to be against everybody that tries to curse your family. He said, I will bless your seed and this family plan from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was carried down all the way to his sons because God had a plan thousands of years in the future that Jacob could not see at this moment. In verse number 15, he says some things here that I'm going to bring out and, uh, to Jacob to comfort him. He says, I am with you. I will keep you. I will continue to bring you into this land. I will not leave you until I have done all that which I have spoken unto you. And these promises are to all of the children of God that continue to keep their faith in Christ and what He did for us on the cross of Calvary. Jacob had 12 sons, and of them, one of them's name was Joseph. Joseph had a calling upon his life, a calling from the Lord, a touch of God upon his life that was unlike the others. Not that the others didn't have a plan, but Joseph was the one that would be the glue that would hold this plan together if he could stay faithful to the Lord. Joseph would be the one that would get the birthright. Joseph would be the one that would see the dreams. And because of all of this, Joseph was hated. And to be plain, we've been learning about uh, the attacks of the enemy. We know that the attack against his brothers was not because they hated Joseph as an individual, but it was because they hated the touch of God upon his life. Joseph was given a coat of many colors that set him apart from the rest of his brothers. He stood apart. And the Lord began to give him dreams. And when he gave him these dreams, Joseph was excited about these dreams. He would run out to the rest of them and he would say, I had a dream. I had a dream that my corn was raised up and everybody else sheaves of corn bowed down. But Reuben and Simeon and Judah and all of these other brothers, they begin to get jealous. They told their dad, they said, this is what Joseph is telling us about his dreams. And Jacob didn't understand completely at the time. And he come and he said, Joseph, do you expect us to bow down to you? He said, no, I don't know what it means. I just know that I've seen these dreams. They begin to hate him. Their hatred begin to grow more and more and more. And it become intense to the point that hatred birthed in the murder. Let me tell you something. Hatred is not a light thing that begins in the heart of man. Hatred, Jesus said, you said. I tell you that if you hate that you have committed murder already, it's not a light thing. After Reuben and his brothers going out to watch the sheep, Joseph or Jacob sent Joseph out, go check on your brothers. He made it all the way to Dothan where he would check on his brothers. And when he got there, I just come to check on my brothers. Their hatred, now they had him singled out all along. They said, let's kill him. Reuben said, you can't kill him, he's our brother. Well, let's throw him in a pit, we'll let him starve, and we'll go on about our way. They found a pit with no water. They throwed him in that pit and left him there to, just, just to die and to wither away, go on about their life. 
from the pit, they felt, they felt a little bit sorry. Reuben said, we can't just leave him here. I tell you what, there's some Ishmaelites that's coming. Bring him up out of the pit. We'll sell him to the Ishmaelites. At least he could go on and live his life. But he'll never be able to break the slavery of Egypt. So they brought him up out of the pit. They stripped his coat off of him. They killed a baby goat and they poured that goat's blood all over him. And all of them were too big of cowards to go back and to present that coat to their dad. They had a servant go and show it to him. And when he showed it to Jacob, and Jacob looked at it and he said, Yes, this is the coat of my son Joseph. He said, This is how he was found. And they said, Well, he surely he's dead. And Jacob began to lament. He began to weep. He began to mourn from that day long. He went from the Ishmaelites. And then after his coat was dipped in blood, they lied to their father. Next, he was sold in slavery in Egypt. And there, he thought he had a little bit of a break because he was favored by Pharaoh. And he was one of the highest servants that Pharaoh had. From there, he went to all of a sudden, they said he was fair to look upon. And when Pharaoh's wife looked up on Joseph, he uh, three times he went to Joseph and said, I want you to lie with me. I'm being mature and I don't mean to be crude, but literally she wanted Joseph to, have, to, to fornicate with her. I want you to lie with me, have this adulterous affair. Joseph said no. A second time, I want you to lie with me. And Joseph said, no, I have access to everything in my father's house except for you and I will not touch you. And the third time that she came in and he said, no, she took his coat and then she called upon the guards and she lied and said, Joseph has come in here and tried to get me to lie with him, but I refused and Pharaoh thrown him in the prison. I'm talking about a family and a plan that God had for a family after he got in the prison. He met a man, a butler and a baker. He was in the prison for a while and the butler and baker had a dream. And when they had this dream, he said, is there anybody that can interpret it? And Joseph said, I can't. He told the butler, he said, three days you're going to be restored back to your place. But to the baker, he said, in three days, you're going to be hanged. They're going to hang you. Your head will be cut off from your body and you will die. And it came true just like he said. The butler was restored. The baker was killed. And he told the butler one thing. He said, all I ask of you is when you get back in the house of Pharaoh, would you remember me? He said, yes, I will remember you. Joseph again thinks he's got a break, but the butler lied. And he got no break. When he got no break, uh, uh, he was stayed in prison for another, another long amount of time. He wasn't planning on, they didn't plan on getting out. There was no such thing as parole or anything, good behavior, nothing. They didn't like you. It didn't make any difference. And so he was staying in prison. And while he's there in prison, one day Pharaoh had a dream. He called his magicians. He called all of those that were uh, into magic and everything. He called them all and he said, would you come? Uh, his astrologers, would you come and interpret this dream? They said, we don't know what it means. And then the butler says, hey, you know what? There's one you throw in prison. His name is Joseph. I had a dream and the baker had a dream. And we told him that dream and the dream came true. Pharaoh said, go get him. It was a new Pharaoh. He told him his dream and Joseph said, here's the meaning of your dream. There's going to be seven years of feast that comes. Oh, that comes throughout the land. And following that, there's going to be seven years of famine. He said, you better put up during the feast because when the famine comes, it will be so great throughout the land that every surrounding country will come to you wanting corn and wanting bread. The Bible says that that dream came true. 
And all of a sudden, because it came true, Joseph found favor with Pharaoh one more time. And after he found favor of Pharaoh, he said, listen, Joseph, I want you to be the governor. I want you to govern the whole land. I want you to have the key to where the corn is. I want you to judge who gets what and how much they get. You're in charge of everything here, Joseph. Jacob and his brothers are still back in their land where they're dwelling, where they're living. And now the famine has hit. There is a drought and famine has hit. And there's no corn for them to be had. Jacob says, boys, you got to go to Egypt. And you got to get us some corn or we're going to starve to death. Haven't seen Joseph, their brother, in years. Their family is broken apart and scattered. And all of a sudden, Reuben, his other brothers, they saddle up. They get ready to go, and they make their journey to Egypt. They get there to Egypt. They go to the gate where the corn is, where the locked door is. We are from the land of our people. We've got no corn. And little did they know they were talking to their brother Joseph. They didn't recognize him because it had been so long since they had seen him. But Joseph was the one that either said, at this point, I'm going to feed you and your family or you're going to starve to death. And in the flesh, I'm just going to be real with you, in the flesh, our first reaction would be, hey, guess what? I'm the one you throwed away. I'm the one that you throwed in the pit. I'm the one you sold into slavery. I've been in a prison, guys. I've been in the worst that you can imagine. And you expect me to give you corn? No, sir. I'll bring my dad some corn, but you boys get ready because you're going to starve to death. And Joseph says, talks to him, didn't reveal itself. We're the sons of Jacob. Hmm. We've got a little brother now named Benjamin. Huh. Well, I want you to go back and I want you to tell your dad that there's corn here. But I tell you what you're going to do when you come back. You're going to bring Benjamin or you're not going to get no corn. And until you get back, I'm going to keep Simeon here. And if you don't return, I'll kill Simeon. So they were hesitant. But they made their way back. Told Jacob what was going on. They brought back Benjamin. When they got there... Then Jacob, and the story unfolds, that, that Joseph reveals himself to him. Feeds their family. After years, their family is finally restored and brought back together. Listen to what I'm saying. Their family was scattered. Their family was broken. Their family was full of hatred. And after all of this time, their family was brought back together. But that's not the greater plan of God. The greater plan of God was thousands of years down the road that they could never even see and had no knowledge of at this time. The greater plan of God was that there was going to, and I'm not trying to get too, I don't even want to give too much detail because I'm not here to teach on Bible prophecy or to get you off track. I want you to stay with the mindset that God has a plan for your family. But in the millennial reign, during the millennial reign of Christ, there will be a period of time when Satan is loosed. And for a thousand years, Israel will be judged. During that thousand years that Israel is going to be judged, there are going to be 12 men that are set up over the 12 tribes of Israel to judge them. Do you know who them 12 men are? 
They are the sons of Jacob. That was the future plan. After the millennial reign and everything is done, after the kingdom age, there will be set up the perfect age according to Revelation chapter number 21. In the perfect age, there will be a city that has four walls. On those four walls, there will be three gates. There will be no more need for judgment. There will be no more need uh, uh, for any kind of judgment because the Lord will have already judged everybody body and the church will already be with the Lord but on those 12 gates right above them as a memorial God said I'm going to list the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the men that judge those 12 tribes you see Jacob's sons names as a memorial will be listed over the 12 gates of that city from the north and the south and the east and the west as a memorial you see what Reuben and Simeon and Judah and Benjamin and all of these guys and Joseph Joseph didn't know is that thousands of years down the road when Christ sets up his kingdom he was going to keep in mind the sons of Jacob and leave them as a memorial and judges he had a plan that was far greater than anything they could ever imagine at the time and if Joseph would have caved or give in I mean we're speaking by perception but with the family plan, God predestined this plan. He don't predestine people, but he predestined the plan. Would the plan would have held together if Joseph would have caved. But because one stayed faithful to God, I feel that in my spirit. The plan for the family held together. And later on down the road, they reaped the benefits of the blessings of God. <laughs> Jacob, in you I will bless your seed. I will bless you. I will curse those that curse you. The same promise that I made to your father Abraham, I will make with you. It's bigger than what you can see. It's greater than what you know. But thousands of years down the road, forever and for everlasting, your name and your son's name will never leave my kingdom. It was a great plan. My family, this is my dad. This is my mother. This is my oldest brother, Brian. This is my little brother, Joey. We, uh, I asked them permission to say some things. But growing up, I don't mean this in a pat myself on the back kind of way at all. But growing up, especially even in church, we were kind of, I hope you don't take this wrong, but we were kind of a model family. We were the model to the world family. We went in. We were faithful to church. I was the blessed kid. I was the blessed one who my parents didn't give me an option to go to church. They didn't give me an option. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for not giving me an option for church. They didn't give me an option. And so when it come time for church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and yes, Wednesday night, we sat just like this on the church pew. We didn't get up. We respect the house of God. We were obedient. I don't remember getting a whooping in church or in the foyer or anywhere. You know why? Because dad said, you get one at church, oh, you're going to get a good one when you get home. They use this old method that the world don't know much about today. It's called discipline. Yeah. With a, with a belt 
Not very many amens there because people think it's cruel. But listen, it works. It works. Take a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy and put him in time out. While he's in time out, he's laughing at you. Okay, I'll speak to me. But I hear them, that leather belt come through my dad's Wrangler belt loops and you got my attention. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. I'm very thankful for that. We were a model family. We were in church growing up every time the doors were open. We wasn't just in church. Our parents led us to the altar. I remember being in the altar praying with my parents and with others. I'm a product of the healing power of Jesus. When the dentist said, you have shattered these teeth and killed all the roots, we'll fit you for a partial because you'll never have teeth up here. I'm a product of a child whose mom and dad walked up to an altar and said, this is what the dentist said, but we're asking God to make his roots come back to life and give him teeth. Uh, These teeth ain't fake. They're real. My little brother allergic to everything. They was going to have to build a plastic bubble because he couldn't go outside. He's a product of my, my parents taking him up to an altar and saying, Pastor, we can't afford it. We need God to heal him. He don't have one single allergy today. I'm a product. I'm a product of these things. Growing up, we were taught my mom was raised in church. My dad was not raised in church. Dad not even supposed to be in Arkansas at the time that he came to Arkansas years ago. Not today. Came to Arkansas. He was facing a triple felony in the state of Illinois. Came down here with a buddy to go to a funeral. Got to the funeral. Of course, his judge already made him a promise. It's not just a judge, it was a judge that never broke his promise. He said, you, I get to give you 40 years and I'm going to make sure you do all 40 years. Comes down here with that on his mind. Not supposed to be in Arkansas. And he gets down here and after the funeral they go to a family's home and a woman walks out. Thank God for people that still follow the voice of the Lord. She said, something's wrong with you. He said, ma'am, you got no idea. <laughs> you got no idea. Yeah, something's wrong with you. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's something. She said, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. I want you to go to church with me. I'm going back to Illinois. I'm not going to be coming back to Arkansas ever. And she didn't know the whole story and what was going on. She said, I'm going to pray that you get to come back. No, I'm going to court. Trust me, I'm not coming back. I'm going to pray that the judge has favor on you. And will you come back and go to church with me? And without even knowing what he, what he was saying, he said, I guarantee you, if that judge has favor on me, I'll make a beeline to Arkansas and I'll be in church with you. He got up there and the day that he goes to court, the judge that made him a promise had a family emergency and another one stands in for him. He goes up there and he says, I don't know why, but I'm going to give you probation. I'm going to give you a chance. He gets out, comes to Arkansas, goes to church, gives his heart and life to the Lord. He got saved. He met my mom and, and that, that got married 1977, six, six, 1976, they got married for the first time. Had my brother in 77, my oldest brother in 77. I was born in 1980. He was born in 1981. And we have a Model family that is serving God and God has already done so much in. He shouldn't even been here. But God works some things out. That is not just a freak of nature. These things don't just happen. 
And all of a sudden, he's here, and a family has started. Family got married. They began to raise us up. We were a family that prayed together. They taught us to work hard. They taught us to serve the Lord. I always remember Mom playing the piano and singing in church. I don't ever remember not. I remember being woke up at sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning because my dad taught Sunday school. He had to be at work 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning in Jonesboro, and we lived in Powhatan, Arkansas. And he would get up make sure he had an hour to spend on a Sunday school lesson. And he would put on a tape and he would be listening to country music. Or not country, country music. <laughs> I was thinking about the cowboy that you were listening to. I couldn't think of his name. But we, uh, he would listen to gospel music that morning. And sometimes it would get a little loud. And sometimes he would get to worshiping and wake us up. We'd go in there, and as soon as he'd seen us, he'd turn it down a little bit. We'd go right back to bed or whatever it was. I remember he had to be at work. This is something that burned in my mind, but started at 7 o'clock, so he'd get up at 4 o'clock or 4.30, whatever, spend some time, and they backed him up to 6 o'clock. Got up at 3 o'clock, but he didn't sacrifice his time of spending it with the Lord. I remember praying together at night. I remember my dad worshiping before he prayed and then praying and then worshiping when he quit. And just a, a godly home. I know you may think you did, but I grew up in the best home that ever existed on God's green earth. It was the best home ever. A family that loved God, serving God. And to most, here's where I'm going to get a little personal, problem free. We didn't have everything we wanted as as children, maybe. I don't remember really wanting anything more than what we had. But we had everything that we needed. We had everything we needed. I remember when I started working on the farm at 15, at 16, I was able to drive. When harvest time hit, it was nothing. It was nothing for us to quit at midnight. And coming home, my supper be in the, my supper be in the oven because mom had made it. Get up and warm it up for me if that's what I wanted. I worked in school, put 40 hours in after school, after my boss. As long as you keep your grades up, you come on in, put in the hours that you want to work, and that's what I did, and I, that's what I enjoyed. And I was working hard as a school kid, making good money, had my own truck, and everything is just going, I mean, everything is going great. Worked with my older brother to an outsider looking in, problem-free, and everything is going good. And then... In 1998, a family that prayed together, stayed together, worked hard, loved God, and served God, my mom and dad got divorced. Dad, would you go sit right over there and you can move that iPad? Mom, would you come and sit? You got your choice. I know better. The enemy found an open door. These are some things that we'd rather forget, but I'm not bringing out every detail. I'm careful. I remember the day that, and I can't speak for my brothers, that they called us in to 
their bedroom and they were sitting on the bed and they said, boys, we got some issues, some problems, and we're going to be splitting up. It was as quiet as what it is here this morning. And I remember walking out of that room and my thoughts was, why can't you just work it out? I mean, we're a, we're a family. Well, the enemy came in. He came in. They tried to come back together. They were remarried. Enemy come in. They were divorced. Come back together. Married. And divorced. In 2004, mom moved to the other side of the state. Dad went and worked on a couple of cattle farms. Jumped in a truck cross country for a little while driving over the road. During this time, my little brother, 2000, 2001, somewhere in there, got out of school, said, I'm out of here. Joy, would you go down there and take a seat for me? He said, I'm out of here. Went to the other side of the state. My older brother that sits behind me now, through all of this, let the devil build up an offense in his heart. And he built up an offense. You know what offended means? It literally it's an offense. It's offense. There was five years he never spoke to my mom. There was three years me and him never had a word unless it was a crossword. It was just a hatred word and go on. Pastor Brian, would you go sit down there for me? I myself am living proof. I want you to, I want you to see something. I am living proof. At this time in my life, I was living proof of a hypocrite. I was still coming to church and playing the drums. But when I wasn't in church, I was living like a heathen. And that's not, that's not salvation of the Bible. That's not biblical salvation. I was living like a hypocrite. I can't speak again for them as far as great detail, but for me, I, I was, what did I have to come home to? I had an opportunity, my dad hooked me up, an opportunity to go to Oklahoma and work on a cow ranch. A guy had a 2,000 acre cattle farm and then he farmed about 2,000 acres of wheat, that's all he did. Perfect. Hired me on a Friday, said be out here Monday morning. That was my plan. And I found myself... At an old camp meeting, I hope it's okay, you're awful quiet. At an old camp meeting around that summer, I wasn't down there for the right reasons. I was down there, well, boys and girls go to camp and camp meeting a lot of time to see other boys and girls. So I went down there, and I got there in the morning. There's no place in the world, I don't believe, that's hotter than Alma, Arkansas in the summer hot. And while I'm there, a pastor friend that I knew 
can you help me set up my camper? Yes, sir. So I went over and I was helping him set up his camper. They had a 10 o'clock service and they had, well, a morning service, an evening service. Nobody went to the morning service. Nobody, nobody went to the morning service. But I got done with that camper and I was hot. And I knew that air conditioner was good in that tabernacle. So I thought, well, I'll sleep in the back door here, sit by the sound booth, and nobody even know I'm here, and I'm going to cool off a little while. So I slipped in there, and I sat down on the back door, or by the back door. And that preacher's up there preaching on accepting the call of God upon your life. I'm thinking, man, it's hot. I'm wiping sweat. Boy, this air conditioner feels good. He's preaching. I wasn't listening. He's saying, answering the call of God is the greatest thing ever. I wasn't listening. At least I was trying not to listen, Brother Junior. And all of a sudden, the Lord began to deal with my heart, and I, I don't throw that around. I don't say that God just spoke to me. I'm not one of these guys that said, well, me and God had a conversation back and forth. Well, I, I, me and God don't have conversations back and forth. I found that God's a God of few words. He speaks to my heart, and he leaves it there because it takes me a long time to accept it. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, that's where I want you. And that's all he said. And I thought, where? In the sound booth? Outside, putting up campers? Where? And I would, all of a sudden, the preacher would come back. We still need people answering the call of God. And God would say, that's where I want you. Huh. It's hot out there. I'll be back in just a minute, but I'm going to cool down right now. God said, that's where I want you. And I left that camp meeting and all the way home. The Lord said, that's where I want you. I came back, took a job driving a dirt pan for a year. I didn't tell nobody. I didn't run from it. I just didn't know what to do. And the Lord would say, that's where I want you. And then in 2001, me and Sister Becky, we got married. Joey moved back. He come back home to stay home for good. The Lord began to mend the relationship between me and my older brother. He removed the offense against me and Brian. I mean, we were doing holidays separate and everything else. But I remember that Sunday morning on the altar when God broke him. And he got up that altar and turned around. I was behind him kind of sitting there. And I was almost knocked away, but he grabbed me up and hugged me, sitting right there. He said, I love you, little brother. And I thought, my Lord, this is the Lord. He healed that offense. Our relationship came back. He began to reconcile the relationship between him and my mom. It took a while, little by little baby steps, but they stuck with it. The relationship between him and my mom was reconciled and brought back better than ever it was. Mom, would you come back? And then in 2009, my mom and dad had been dating. 2009, they remarried October the 3rd. Would have been 12 years ago. This October the 3rd, this past October the 3rd, would have been 12 years ago that God restored them. They got remarried in 2000. Let me back up. Let me just say this. 
We only thought we were close before. But by the grace of God, we're closer than what we ever was. The devil found an open door, but God shut that door. In 2006, me and Brian, we got a mail route. We hated it. We were stuck in a mail truck. That's not for us. We'd rather pick up rocks. I'm sorry, guys. They both work at the post office. It's just not for us. I'd rather pick up chunks. I'd rather, I, literally, I'd rather cut firewood than to sit in a truck and hand out somebody's mail and they get mad at you. They're mad at you for offering a free service. I didn't get the letter I wanted to get. What are you going to do about it? Hey, man, I'm just a messenger. You have to call the post office. I don't want you driving through anymore. I don't want to drive through here either. I don't. I don't want to come through here. Mad at you. I mean mad because you're giving them a free service. Worst job we ever had. I'm being serious. <laughs> but while we were there, we got to start listening to the message of the cross. The message of Christ and Him crucified. See, you got to understand we were raised in church, but I didn't know nothing about a one-on relationship with Christ. I knew all about religion. When I began to read the Bible, I learned that religious people killed Christ. Why do I want to be like that? I don't want to be religion. You're looking at somebody, I'm not religious. Not only am I not religious, I don't want anything to do with religion. Jesus didn't call me into religion. He called me into a one-on-one relationship through His Son. And that's how I have access with God. The plan began to unfold. We've been in church all our life, but we started to understand the gospel. And the enemy has not quit yet. We still have troubles. Brian has suffered one divorce. Joey, I'm going to say this publicly. He came in my office Wednesday night. Don't even know why he was coming in there, but he shut the door. And he brought up a conversation that me and him left a few, couple, two, three years ago. I'll say this publicly because he ain't going to mind if I say it anyway. But Joey still struggles with his exact place with God and exactly where he needs to be. Everything is not exactly perfect. Me and Sister Becky, if it was not for our foundation, We'd have been divorced a long time ago. My mom and dad are our number one supporters. They're our number one encouragers. Let me tell you, they're our number one. And the devil tries and he still tries to stop the plan that God has for us. But I want you to know, excuse me while I talk to my family. The devil has tried. He has continued. We have suffered heartbreak. We've been knocked down. We've been pushed over. But by the grace of a living God, we're still here today. And we're still about the plan of God. We're still here. Suffered attack, oppression, and heartbreak, but we're still here because God had a greater plan than what we've seen at that time. Today we work together to spread the message of, the, of Christ and Him crucified. i got to tell you this, and I'm about to hush. You see, all of my life I learned, I heard God could. All of my life I heard God can. All of my life I heard about what God could do in my life. But nobody ever told me how to let Him do it in my life. 
Nobody ever told me how to let him do it. I was Monday through Saturday living like a hypocrite, miserably saved because I didn't know how to let the Lord work in my life. But I want you to know as a church, we're not here to give you religion. I'm not here to point you to a church. I'm not here to point you to a man. I'm here to point you to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and a one-on-one relationship because nothing else matters except do you know Jesus. Jesus. That's all that matters. And everything about this world is to stop that. We have a, our message. It's not that just God can't. I didn't come to tell you this morning. Get with me later. I'm not here to tell you that God can deliver you from a addiction. I'm here to tell you that He can. And I'm here to tell you how to let Him do it. I can tell you how. If you'll listen, I guarantee you. Whoa, how do you know it'll work? Well, if it don't work, this Bible's a lie and I'll throw it away today and I'll quit and never come back to it. I want you to know it's foolproof. We're here to tell people that if you'll place your faith in Christ and what He did for you on the cross of Calvary, that the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to work in your life. He's the answer for a broken marriage. He's the answer for the addict. He's the answer for the alcoholic. He's the answer for the He's the answer for the adulterer. He's the answer for the murderer. Jesus Christ is still the answer today. Praise the Lord. But I want you to know, my family is not better than your family. God doesn't have favorites. God's got a plan for my family. God's got a plan for your family. We're not better than you. God's plan continue to be carried out if he can find somebody to hold on and to trust him. I want you to look with me at Psalms, this one scripture, and I'm about to hush, 68 and verse number 6. Family, can y'all, I'm going to let you take your seat. We can move these if you would. I want you to see this. Singers, musicians, would you come? I'm sorry, Mom. I want you to look at this. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound and changed, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. He brings those out and the rebellious dry, uh, dwell in a dry land. Don't let this be confusing. You've got to understand that we are all free moral agents. Every single one of us are a free moral agent. You can do what you want to do. You can do what you want. You're a free moral agent. Those that accept Christ, he brings them out. They were once bound by change, but those that reject him, well... He'll allow the rebellious to continue to dwell in a dry land where there is no life. But I want you to notice the first part of this scripture. Look at it. God sets the solitary in family. Solitary means single. Sometimes there's just one single person in a family that will hold on to the hand of God and say, God, I don't know what you got in store. I don't know what you're doing. But I'm not going to let go of you because I know that you've got a greater plan than what I see right now for me and for my family. Sometimes 
being the single one, you feel the loneliness of the prison. You feel the hatred of those that cast you away. Sometimes being the only one, you feel the rejection of all of those and all you're trying to do is to help to lead them from the Lord. Sometimes being the only one, well, let me just tell you, it's not always a good time. But the truth of the matter is, it is rewarding. Because to that one, to that one in the family that will be a Joseph that says, by all natural rights, I have a right to say, you get out of my face, you, get, you will starve to death. But to the one that will be a Joseph and says, regardless of what they've done, I'm going to continue on to be right with the Lord because I believe that God has a greater plan than what I see. You can rest assured that if we'll serve God, He will bring that plan back around. One of these days, <laughs> Joseph or Jacob is going to get to look. I know how my, my dad is proud of his family. He's proud of us boys. And if that was my dad, he'd have to make his way around all four walls of that city. And he'd have to look and read the names of his sons off of that. Look here. God's plan for mine. He might make more than one trip. One of these days, Jacob's going to get to look upon the walls and above them gates. It's going to be the names of his son. Because he had one son that refused to give up. <laughs> I come to tell you today, listen. God's got a plan for your family. And if he can get somebody that says, you know what? I'm going to follow after God. He can begin to put one by one and place them in that plan. And later on, you look back and say, thank God. I held on to, the, to his nail-scarred hand because the plan that he has is greater than the suffering that I went through and that I endured just to get to where I am today. I come to tell you this morning, God has a plan for your family. And if you'll serve him, you'll see that plan begin to unfold. Help me.
over my family. Amen. They continue to play softly. I want to ask you to stand all across the congregation. And I want to ask you to bow your head with me if you could and close your eyes. I want to ask you a most simple question that is directed to you as an individual. That's why we bow our head and we close our eyes. We're being reverent one to another and reverent to the Holy Spirit just a moment. Nobody looking around, please. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to pray for your families in just a moment. This is a heart question. A heart question is a question that only you can rightfully answer. Nobody else can answer what I'm about to ask except for you and the Lord. But I want to ask you this morning, how is your individual relationship with Jesus? Not with your church, not with your pastor. They're not your judge. Jesus is a judge. How is your relationship with Christ this morning? Because that's what matters. Maybe it's you that wants to be Joseph and says, you know what? I want to make sure my relationship's right. Because I've got so much at stake. I want to be the glue that holds my family, pulls my family. We could all put on a show. We could act. I did it for years. But when it comes right down to it, we know in the depth of our heart, do you have a relationship with Christ? How is everything? Are we ready to have that conversation with Him? And this morning, I just want to ask you as you answer that question within yourself, and you're here and you say, my relationship is not right. It's not what it needs to be. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to know you raised your hands except me and Pastor Brian. And that's just because during the week, we think back to hands that was raised and we pray for those. This is between you and God. There's no, need to, there's no need to promote you this morning. This is private between you and God. This morning, I just want to ask you, if you're here and you answered that question in the way of, oh, my relationship is not what it's supposed to be, would you slip your hand up and write back down? Thank you, God, for these hands. Thank you, God, hands that goes up all across the building. Thank you, God, for these hands. This is what matters. This is where it's at. Our raised hand is a sign of surrender to the Lord. While nobody else is looking, me, Pastor Brian, but the Lord is watching. That sign of faith is powerful. This morning, I want to ask you one more time. We already had hands go up everywhere. But I want to ask you, 
your relationship is not right with the Lord and you want me to pray for you, would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? Thank you, God, for these hands. Thank you, God, for these hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for these hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, here's what I want to do. I want you to listen to me with your hand, with your head still bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to listen to me carefully. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That with the mouth we confess, with the heart we believe. A simple prayer doesn't save anybody. But when we mix that prayer with faith from the heart, truly believing, there's something powerful that's going to take place in our heart. First of all, we are in heaven's courtroom. And God, as the righteous judge, can declare us not guilty the moment we place our faith in Christ. This morning, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody, even those that didn't raise their hand, to follow so that we don't point anybody out. But this morning, I want to tell you, just saying a prayer won't save you, but if you believe what we're about to pray, according to the Word of God, you shall be saved. So would you follow along and pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to You in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. But today, as I stand at Your mercy, I believe that You're a merciful God. Lord, I ask You to forgive me of my sins. I ask You to make me clean. And I ask You to help me from this day forward. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I believe that on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. And because He lives, I shall live also. I ask it in the name of Jesus. And by faith, I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm whole. I believe I'm washed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Congregation, you got a reason to rejoice this morning. You got a reason to rejoice this morning. Hallelujah. God, we thank you, God, for people giving their heart to you, Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Faith. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail. Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.